Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. Do you want to spend 60 minutes planning out a profitable 2022 with me? Just you and me, on Zoom, camera on, pen and paper out, getting you super clear on exactly what your goals are and how you're going to achieve them. It's free, even though the call is worth like a gazillion dollars. Go to planwithjosh.com to book that call with me. That's planwithjosh.com to book a one-hour strategy session to make sure that 2022 is your most profitable year yet. When did you give up on the idea of balance? How many promises have you broken to yourself or to your friends or your family? It's so damn hard because the needs of our businesses are immediate and constant. The fires that we put out on a daily basis are sometimes literal, so how can we step away? How do we truly unplug without shooting our future selves in the foot? Tomorrow Laura has an idea and it's pretty compelling. She advocates for blending and in today's conversation walks us through the step-by-step process of seamlessly blending our personal life with our professional life. It was that I wanted it all and, you know, I wasn't willing to compromise. I mean, people were saying to me, oh, when you have kids, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. I was like, why? I'm like one of those annoying kids, you know, are we there yet? I was like, but why? But why? So I was kind of looking for a new model and I couldn't really see it inside everyone talking about balance. I mean, have you met anyone who said, oh, I've got my balance just down pat? You just don't. And Yeah, liars. I've met plenty of liars that tell me how well balanced their lives are. Oh, yeah. And then they try and sell you some course, right? Good old life coaches. (laughs) It's like when you go to Bali, even the cows are life coach. (laughs) But the issue is, is that if you look at the fundamentals of how it works, you've got a scale, right? You've got family and you've got business and you're meant to juggle between the two. So if you spend too much time at work, you've got to take from here and put over here. So it's this constant juggling act. And what we've forgotten is the most important piece in everything is self. And there's no self bar to give to either. So I believe in the five extensions of being, which is self, most importantly, family, business or work, community and mother nature. So I want to be able to have a nice even spread across all of those and I'm constantly looking at how much time I'm spending in each. So what I did was I figured, hey, why can't I do a few things at once? Typical woman, right? Let's just all blend it instead of balance it. So for example, if I want to go watch my daughter at her tennis tournament and there's a board meeting on, 
I won't, you know, say to them, oh, I'm so sorry. I refuse to use that word. I don't apologize for being a mother and wanting to be present. So what I do is I say, my daughter's tennis recital is on or I would like to be there. I will be there for that. So if it's okay with you guys, I would like to dial in. I'll be on mute if I can uh, find a quiet place in between matches and share. I would love to do that. Is that okay with you? And I ask for permission to blend the two. A lot of my team know that if they want a solid chunk of my time, because I start so early because I work American hours, they know that by the time I pick up the kids, it's straight to the beach. So if they want to come and bring their kids and dog and walk with me on the beach and have a blended conversation while we're having beach time, mother nature, family time, and talking while we're walking, doing some exercise, they're welcome to do that. So if you have an open door policy and you don't go, oh, keep work and business separate, I mean, who does that? As long as you're an ethical human, I don't see why you can't bring the two together. So that's kind of how I blend it. And I encourage everyone in my team, you know, I've had over 50 staff, 72 at one point, and everyone gets the same permission as what I do so that they're not feeling like they're torn. But there have to be some boundaries in place. You know, I come from an industry where the boundaries are obliterated like the moment that you step into the industry because there's just a constantly changing cycle of expectations paired with, you know, it's a very human enterprise. We are humans serving other humans. So things go wrong all the time. But I would assume that there are guardrails in place, boundaries in place to keep the blended life together. Yes. Absolutely. You can't exactly serve food or have your kids in the kitchen. But what you do need to do is say, okay, these are my work hours and these are my boundaries within that. And if everybody respects each other's time and is communicating around where they want to be and how they want to show up and what their values are, then I'm not going to ask you to compromise your values. It's that simple. So for me, if we work together as a team, if we know that, okay, there's just sometimes, like I can't go live on television and have my kids in the background. That's just not possible. So there's times where you have to be present, but you block out those times. And I call that a rhythm map. How do you get your rhythm map going so that when you are there, you're present, it's a chunk of time, but this nine to five stuff doesn't serve anyone. Even if it's nine to nine, none of it serves anyone. We're really good for four hour blocks. And when we can focus on that and give that our attention, then outside of that, we should have permission to blend. I want to talk about how to train yourself to adopt that mindset. But before we even get there, I want to talk about how do you train your team? How do you set the expectation that like, I'm here whenever you need me, but you damn well better need me. This better not be a preference, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You how do you message that? Off. <laughs> At the front right? door. How do you message that? And like, how do you establish accountability? And your life is really no different than ours in the way that it's incredibly fluid. Yeah, exactly. If you want something done, ask a busy person. And when you've got as many staff and you've, well, I don't like the word staff, team, and mine are all over the globe. I have a team in Manila. I have people in LA, both sides of LA. I have people in London. So how you run those meetings is really important. I actually follow EOS. Gino Wickman is a friend of mine. I love Traction, the book. So we don't run over with meetings. We very much have a gender-focused key items that we need to focus on for the week. And I give people the trust and respect they deserve to go do that. And then when there's breakdowns, I use NLP and start inside my business. So if there is a breakdown, let's have a wrap conversation. What was the breakdown? What is your reason for why it happened? If you're late for work, 
what was it? Acknowledge the impact on the rest of the team because you are 20 minutes late and then make a re-promise. What are you committing to from now on? Because this is the third time it's happened. Maybe you should leave a little earlier. So I'm very clear on let's not hold grudges. If there's a breakdown, let's have a wrap conversation and let's get back to business. Because if we all get in, trust that everybody's doing their part to achieve the bigger mission, which is really important to have one and three year goals and purpose. People are rarely driven by money, especially women. We show up because we want to have a sense of purpose in what we're doing every single day. So as long as we all are on the same vision, same mission, showing up in our purpose and our gifts, then really we don't need to micromanage anyone. We just need to hold each other accountable. Well, in a big way you do that is by sharing your values and then running your business according to those core values. Talk to me about the core values that you've established for your own business. So each business has their own core mission and values. But what's more important is I actually start by establishing what the person's values are. Human design is really interesting in the fact that you can see a lot of insights into a person. So again, we're not saying, okay, this is who I am at business and this is who I am in my personal life. Let's figure out what you are and what your values are. So to share what my values are, it's freedom, impact, doing the opposite and creativity. So they're my four. So for example, someone saying to me and my team, hey, I really need you to sit in an office for eight hours a day or work on HR issues and finances, that's a great way to kill me slowly. So because I'm a creative, that's just not going to be okay with me. And I like freedom. I don't like a corner office that I have to go to every single day. I need to be able to travel and have the freedom to create and the freedom to work from anywhere. So if you understand every single person who works with you, what their core values are and what drives them, then you're not going to ask them to do things that are outside of those values. So that's the first thing. We establish that first. The second thing is bucket lists. I really want to understand what their purpose is in life and what they want to do with their time. Most of us aren't here to accumulate more crap. It's usually about experiences. So how can we tick those off? Because I've got an amazing global network and some of them say, I'd love to do this, or I'd love to meet Richard Branson, or I'd love to fly first class, I can make that shit happen. So that's really exciting because then I can go, okay, how can we have fun on the way through? Because there's going to be times where it's not going to be fun. That's just life. But at those times when we achieve our goal and we push through it, then we celebrate our wins through experience shares. And if we're not accumulating beautiful memories on the way through, business is just a game. If we're not having beautiful experiences on the way through, then I don't see the point. You mentioned one of your core values was doing the opposite. Unpack that for me. Oh, I wish that wasn't one of mine. (laughs) It'd be so much easier if I could just show up and be like everybody else. (laughs) You know, it's just interesting because even as a business leader, I was like, okay, what's your value? Let's have a look at your soul fillers. And when's your kids start school? You can start after that. I can't just do what everyone else in business says, well, this is the rules and this is how it's been done. And I think that became really obvious when I got to over 10 million in revenue. And the more revenue you make, the less women there are. And then you've got boys in your ears saying, being a CEO is a very lonely game. I'm like, why does it have to be? Why can't I show up vulnerable in front of my team? Why can't I break down and cry if I'm having a moment? Why can't they know about what's going on in my life personally? Because it's affecting my business. 
So those sorts of things, I look at things and I go, that doesn't sit with me. It's a bit that gut intuition. And then I go, well, seeing it doesn't sit with me, how do I do the opposite of that? How do I do what's right by my values and feels right by my instinct? And every time I've done that, something pretty magical has happened. So I look at industries and I go, for instance, I had a food preparation business. And when I acquired that company, it was just about to close its doors. And the plan was, the reason it was doing so badly is it was trying to constantly buy new equipment. Like it was trying to be a food manufacturing business. And so, of course, I looked at it and I said, well, there's a lot of energy, time and money going into that. What if we were a sales and marketing business and looked at it that way? A bit like McDonald's is a real estate business, not a food business. So how do we look at it differently? So the first thing I did was I went in and I shut down the kitchen. And everyone's like, why would you shut down a kitchen if you own a food (laughs) preparation company, like a meal prep company? I said, because I've just gone out in my network and found somebody who has about 40% capacity. They already do prepared meals for a big shopping center. They have nearly a billion dollars worth of plant and equipment. They can scale this business to much bigger than what our capabilities are, which is going to be a constant bottleneck. So we ended up focusing all our efforts on sales and marketing and how to really love up a customer and left the manufacturing to somebody who knows how to do that, who's done that for 30 years and has mastered and has the equipment. So where your focus goes, your energy flows. And when I focused on that, the business went gangbusters. And what does it cost me? 10, 15% on top? for them to do the work as opposed to me. So this is the sort of stuff I'm always going, but why do we have to do it that way? Is there another way we could do this that is smarter and more in line with what we want to do, which is impact? How many people do we want? This was all macronutrient meals. How many lives do we want to impact from that business? So why would we focus on manufacturing when we should be focusing on them and what is their needs and what are their health and fitness goals? Does that give you a few examples? It does. Absolutely, it does. The whole time you're talking, I'm thinking, what about the days that you were buried? After 20 years in the industry, when I talk about being a restaurateur, ownership, operations, core values, culture, and all of that, it all comes really easily. But I also had 20 years to get it right. And I always look back on the days that I was absolutely just buried in the day to day and couldn't figure out what to do next. There is somebody that's going to be listening to this podcast. They're going to look behind them and there's a grease fire in the kitchen. And like I vividly remember those days. And so for those out there that are overwhelmed and you work with people in a variety of industries. So I would argue that the issues that the hospitality industry face are not incredibly foreign to you. Where do you start when it comes to creating that blended life, that balance, those boundaries and living a value-driven life because it all seems like platitudes when you're drowning in the day-to-day. Yeah, well, overwhelm is usually a lack of clarity around what it is that you're trying to achieve and what is the plan to get you there. So if you want to be pulled in multiple directions, you will. So for me, my probably secret source, because I don't have an MBA, I'm a country girl, the people that I'm hanging around have rich parents and all sorts of things. That's not me. (laughs) So let's just get that straight. I worked hard until I figured out how to work smart. And I think one of the things that I did was I got a mentor. If you want to know how to do something, go ask somebody who's done it before and ask them how they did it. And 
when I'm mentoring women who are at one or two million and 10 million seems so far away, I can break that down and go, okay, this needs to be the high priorities. This is what we need to let go of because 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. How can we clear things up, go very deep and narrow on your niche, not try and be everything to everybody? and then scale that vertical. And I find that a lot of people are distracted with multiple things, people who have five or six businesses and they're only turning over a half a mil or a couple of hundred thousand in each of them. I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? You've only got one butt. You can only ride one horse. Let's get you to 10 mil and then you can diversify into other channels. So the discipline in sticking to one plan, Built to Sell is one of my favorite books for that. The second thing is do it over and over again until you're bored get so good at stuff and refine. So build, optimize and scale. A lot of people build, but they build out a million things, a million verticals, and then they end up mediocre at everything and get a mentor and they will guide you through that process and introduce you to people in their network and give you best practices and whatever you're trying to achieve, somebody out there has already done it. Just go and ask them how they did it. It's not that hard, but then, you know, I'm a woman. I like to ask for directions. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your mentor? I have Jeff Hoffman, who is the founder of Priceline. Amazing man. Also, as you probably know, I'm very much into philanthropy. So impact is big for me. So he just won that award a couple of years ago. A new mentor, again, ask somebody how they did it, is Peter from Sea World. And he has mastered the fandom model. And that's something that is really dear to my heart as well. So Paul Pullman is another one of my role models. He's not my mentor, but I certainly am guided by him. He's the ex-CEO of Unilever and my tribe. At the end of the day, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, I like to be the smallest fish in the room. That's my goal all the time. So as soon as I scale to the size that's bigger than the other businesses in my forum, I'm constantly wanting to be a little guppy surrounded by amazing people that are doing huge things so that when I dream big, it doesn't seem so crazy. If I said that around the mothers at school, they might think I've lost the plot. When I'm talking about a billion in revenue and 10 million impacts to the UN and all that sort of stuff, they go, is she on something? Whereas if I say that in my circles, they say, great, what's your plan? That sounds like 1% of your industry shouldn't be too hard. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) That's the stuff that gets me really excited. For sure. So those are sort of the things that really inspire me. How much time do you carve out for community entrepreneurial facing community and education for yourself? So I put things in three blocks, red, blue, and black. What I have learned by hanging around these amazing humans is they spend a lot of time in black. Now, black is strategy and giving back. So 80% of their time is in that. The blue is doing the work, which we can't avoid sometimes, especially if you're starting new businesses and you need to put in the systems and processes. And red is the stuff I avoid at any cost. It's all the stuff that does not drive the business forward. It's things like admin and tax and rent and all the overheads and stuff that you just have to put up with. So my team actually talked to me in red, blue, and black. If they come to me with something and it's a blue item, they say to me, look, I appreciate I'm taking you away from your black, but this blue item, I have this need, and then have to come with three solutions. If it's a red item, I'm going to say, is this worth my conversation or can you just handle it? And they go, yeah, it's red. Or if they ask for money, (laughs) hey, I want to buy this printer or I want to do this. I'm like, is that a red, blue, or a black? Does that contribute to generating revenue? Or So just finding little ways to talk inside the team where they can identify what everybody's role is and what we're doing 
keep the red low, keep the blue pumping, keep Tamara in her black space. That's kind of how we do it. Talk to me about EOS. I've implemented myself. And I'm curious to know, how long ago did you do it? And is that the exclusive model you're working off of? So EOS is definitely something I put in when I first start or acquire a business. That one, for me, EOS is is fantastic. Gina Wickman's a genius. So that's always in there and I use traction. What I do do is once it gets over 10 million, I tend to revert more to Vern Harnish scaling up because that looks at the fundamentals of what you need to get it to the next stage. So it's kind of a mix of both. Always start with EOS and then I move into that one as well, the Vern Harnish scaling up. I'm also really liking the model or the framework that Paul Polman is talking about, which is called net positive. So that's another one of my radars. I believe businesses should take less, you know, than they give. Unfortunately, that's not the case. The top 3,000 companies in the world are doing $2 trillion damage to the environment every year. So that's another one of my radars is how do I always not only be net, but net positive? How can I give back more? So as you know, I'm in the beauty and wellness space. So all my products are zero waste packaging. They're all completely clean. And with every product we have giving embedded. So that food company, when I acquired that, it was only doing a couple of thousand meals a week. By the time we exited that, it was doing 40,000 meals a week. That's 40,000 meals that we were giving to children in school in Africa. And we all know that education is what is going to shift things. So by making them go to school to get fed, that was really important. Now, if I had waited until I was profitable and said 10% of profit, I wouldn't have had anywhere near as much impact as saying, look, I know we're not even making profit now, but I'm embedding this like a cost of goods. And as we scale, so does the impact. Otherwise, things are going to happen like COVID and businesses aren't making profit. And at a time when the world needs it, no one's giving because it's a percentage of profit. So that's another thing that's very much part of my framework. It's a non-negotiable across all my brands and my businesses. You wrote a book to help people blend their lives. And there are a bunch of exercises in that book. And I'm hoping that we can spend the rest of the time together getting super actionable. Can you unpack your favorite exercises from the book? and how the people listening could implement them in their own lives and restaurants? Yes, certainly. Slicing the pie would probably be the best one. You guys know how to bake, so let's bake a pie of what your ultimate pie is, and that is when you're in your happiest moment. So you've got one pie, how do you divide that up against those five extensions of being, and how much do you give to each one? Now, I'm unapologetically half my pie is business, and that's because inside business I blend friendship, my friends work with me. My best friend is my business partner. And inside that half of the pie is what I'm doing at work. So creative things, the HR and admin is about this much of a pie. Like you'd need a really (laughs) sharp knife for that one to slither it. (laughs) And then inside my personal and family, my chores is about that big as well. I can't stand it if I have to mop floors and cook at home. So that's just knowing what my pie is and then sharing it with other people. So if I'm in a bad mood, it might be because no one's picking up around the house. (laughs) Yeah. Because I just do not like chores. (laughs) So figuring out where your happy place is inside your pie and then sharing it with people so that they know and checking on it. Don't wait until things implode or you're feeling burnt out. Every month you'll see in my calendar there's a slicing the pie review, pops up, And then I quickly look at my pie and I do an audit. 
I go, okay, am I sticking to these happy places? Or if I'm feeling like I'm really not wanting to get out of bed for work that day, that's kind of like, ooh, something's off in my pie. So I just have a quick look, get myself back on track around the things that I love. So yeah, that's a great exercise. But the whole book isn't just, it's meant to be an actionable book. Like you said, what's the point in just telling people how to live a blended life if they don't have a framework and a compass to work to? So there's values exercises, there's soul fillers, there's bucket lists, there's slicing the pie, and it basically gives you a one-page plan. So I can go, okay, guys, here's my one-page plan to my team. This is what's important to me. Show me yours, and we can all be respectful of what each other's human design is, so to speak. The reason I was so excited to talk to you is because it's not like you are just a person that has figured it out and you run a reasonably successful business and you are massively successful, massively successful in multiple industries and you live life on your own terms. Your businesses work for you. And when you choose to, you work for your own businesses. And I grew up in an industry where that wasn't even a consideration. You worked 80 hours a week because you were supposed to work 80 hours a week. And if you were working 50 hours a week, it felt like a part-time job. And you were embarrassed about it. You would lie about working extra hours because that was the thing that garnered you respect within the industry. But I see such an opportunity now. I see this as an inflection point in our industry where we have a massive opportunity to do business differently and have it help our businesses, not hurt our businesses. The last big thing that I wanted to talk to you about is support and infrastructure. And if you're not actively running your businesses, someone is. And so I want you to talk to me about that someone, when it was you that transitioned into bringing in that someone, what that path to power looked like for them, the checks and balances, what the nature of that relationship is like. How did you create a position where someone else fulfills your dream? Mm. Well, first off, anytime someone says that I'm self-made eight-figure entrepreneur, I go, there's no such thing. You cannot get to that level without amazing people around you. So I really create pathways based on what their one-page plan is and what they want to achieve. So if they come to me and they say, I really want to own my own business one day or my own brand, then I go, okay, what does that look like? I had one guy in my kitchen who said to me, hey, I saw that you were a songwriter in your 20s. And I'm like, yep. And he said, I really want to leave the kitchen and be a songwriter. He had the trust in me to be able to say that to his boss. <laughs> and I said, great, let's get you there. Let's work out a plan so that you can have time off to go and focus on that and let me give you some introductions to the industry. So if you create a place where everyone can share, you can create pathways. And one thing that I do is I believe in abundance. I'm not greedy over equity. I'm not greedy over money. Everybody knows what the company is making. And if the company wins, we all win. So I quite often will say to people, if you want to own this company, let's do sweat equity. That's one of the models that I use. And a lot of people at the moment are having HR issues. They cannot find staff. So with me, I have them lined up at the door saying, can you please employ me? I want to be part of this mission and I want to own my own business. And they'll start with me and I say, well, well help me build this one business, right? And we're going to set KPIs. And if you do that, I'm going to offer you equity in the next one so that you can own something. And for a lot of women in particular, there's no capital. We get 2% of all capital to start businesses. And it's usually going to people inside my network who have a track record. So God knows how much actually goes to women in startups who don't have a track record. 
So we need to get better at saying, okay, how can I give this to you and it becomes your baby and you have skin in the game so I can go and play in this area as well. Otherwise, I'm stuck on that horse. So if I can say, hey, do you want to ride this horse? Great. What does that look like? It's performance-based equity. So you know what? If you want to show up and do 80 hours a week of concentrated black time and a little bit of blue, then we can create an amazing business that we can sell or becomes an asset. So really leading with abundance, looking at what is your end goal and working back from that and saying, how do I share it? Everyone in my network goes to each other and they say, right, I've got this opportunity. I need these sorts of people. I'm a visionary. I've quite often gone out and said, I need an integrator. Find those people and collaborate. Don't keep your cards so close to your chest and think that, oh, this is my baby. It's really not. You need to share it. You need to share it with others. You need to go on that journey together and then you all end up winning because in the middle of the night, I rarely get a phone call if shit hits the fan. Someone else is taking that call and I find out in the next morning what happened and how they handled it and I embrace that and I acknowledge them for that. That's way better than being a control freak, wouldn't you say? I've been a control freak before, by the way, but that was hard. (laughs) That was the 80-hour week. I learned that lesson in early 20s. (laughs) It wasn't fun. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about lessons learned along the way. I would assume that, at least in my own experience, the entrepreneurship learning curve is pretty steep. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to know, what are the lessons that you've learned along the way that you would strongly recommend other people internalize as well? God, there's so many. Where do I start? I guess in exit world, I used to want to exit for the highest amount. Don't be a lazy genie. Exit for the right person. So Money is energy. How you take money is really important. So when I attract investors, they're saying to me, how much money are you going to make? I'm saying, I don't want dirty money. So if they invest in any mining or stuff that is unethical, that uses child labor, I won't take their money. And I've learned that lesson the hard way. I exited a business for the highest bidder as opposed to the best fit for that business because I thought that was my version of winning is getting the highest multiple. And that business didn't last more than two years because they came in and they said, right, where's all the staff at 10 in the morning? Oh, they're dropping the kids to school. And they're like, right, no, everyone's in here at eight. Everyone's, you know, they completely ruined the culture of the business. And as a result, it was a high-churn business. The average retention of a customer was, I think, eight weeks. So you do that, you can kill a business very quickly. So that's really been a big thing for me is how I take money and making sure it's with the right people because money isn't one of my key drivers. So that was a silly decision and it was based on what I thought you did from what I'd heard from people around me. Other things that I've learned is community. Every single person that I meet who wants me to help them, literally because I go on Clubhouse twice a week, And every woman who's in there or any business or brand that's in there, the number one question is, how do I get more leads? How do I get more sales? And it's because they've done it around the wrong way. They've gone and created a product, put all their energy and effort in perfecting that, all their money and life savings into manufacturing that, and then they try and figure out how to sell it. It's cart before horse. You need to create a community first, take them on that journey, have customers ready, do focus groups, make sure they like it. Don't ask your friends and family. Ask people who are your potential customers, what do you think of this product? Show them the packaging, get them to test the product. And then once you've done that, then do a small release and have a sold out event. That's how you build a brand. 
But a lot of people just want to have their little baby and make it. And I'm like, that's great. But now you're sitting on 10,000 units that are expiring and you've come to me and said, okay, how do I get rid of it? So that's not a good problem to have. So build your community first. And that's really what we do at Basal. We're a community of like-minded women who are a little bit spiritual and very much about impact. And then I say to them, what products do you want? What is the next thing you want me to go clean up, so to speak? Because everything in the beauty and wellness space is pretty much owned by men. Most of it is made in China. And I said, I'm right, what do you want me to work on next? And if it's hair care, if it's a gut health shake, whatever it is, they decide. It's actually not up to me. Does it make sense? It does. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Show up every day in purpose and make your business a force for good. How does it be profit and purpose? I want to see a sign on your door that says, this is my rhythm map. We're closed on Thursday. We could make this much money, but every Thursday my daughter does gymnastics and that's my family time. Show up the way that you want to live your life and you'll earn the respect of your team, your customers. Do it differently. That's tomorrow, Lore. For more on blending, check out loreblend.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.